Hello and welcome to Touchline. My name is Kasper Els. I'm here with Mark Cameron and we welcome Jeff Harper back again. Thank you, Kas. Lucky to be back. Evening, gentlemen. Nice to have another chat show another week and welcome back, Jeff. Thank you, Marky. Tonight we're talking about the position of eighth man, number eight. Jeff, can I start with you? What is the responsibility of an eighth man or a number eight in the game of rugby? I think without laboring a point that we had in one of our previous discussions with, with loose forwards, just a couple of points, I suppose, if you want to say what your key areas are as an, as an eight. Um, also got to ensure that a set piece functions effectively. Um, I think you've got to be creative in attack. Um, you've got to be aggressive in D. You've got to have the high work rate that the rest of the loose forwards have. So I think... You've got to be incredibly fit because your, your your work rate has got to be the highest amongst with your fellow loose forwards, the highest yes. of the rest of the players on the park. And I think the more importantly with eight, you've got to you've got to be that link between between the backs and the forwards. On so you've got to you've got to create and maintain continuity and attack. You've also got to focus on your carries. Um, you've got to be effective in in cross defence. And there's a, so there's a whole range you've got to you've got to add to a, you've got to add if you can depending on the type of eight you're using on the day you've got to you've got to add to add value to lineout so it's got, you've got to you've got to be a different lineout option. So it's one of those positions we can talk about all night, but I think the areas that I mentioned are probably the the key areas that we look for for an eight or in an eight rather. So obviously there's a there's a few things one can look at, but uh, just a question on eight. Last week we spoke about height. Um, your two meter tall locks and so forth. The week before that, when Kevin Buck was in, we spoke about the the loose forwards. So, would your traditional eight, well, when I say traditional eight, um, your current eights, because obviously it's changed over the years. So, would your current eight necessarily need to be a tall guy as well? Um, you were mentioning line out options, or could you sacrifice the height of an eighth man because you got taller? Loose forwards. If I got the tall loose forwards, you could, or the the on the side of the scrum, you could perhaps sacrifice that. I think interestingly enough, I was listening to to Ashley Johnson this morning, just listening to him on the off chance, and they were chatting about his role as an eight and 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 what he considers a good eight, and and in his mind, um, he just thinks that you the, the the work rate and the solidity on defence. Is key not not so much the height where he plays more of a supporting role, particularly at lineout time, rather than being the one to be your actual lineout option at the back. So, although it is nice to have your eight as a lineout option, if you have another loose forward that can cover that, um, it can it can make up for that. And just as well with regards to general play, you were alluding to earlier, um, would your eighth man then? play more of an active role in attack play than six and seven, for argument's sake. Obviously, all three of them are loose forwards. I think your eight is going to be the one that's going to be the go-to guy for the carries. Um, so working harder around, coming around the corner to, to carry. Um, so he's going, to be, he's going to be more active in that. Um, it also depends. He's, he's, got to be a, he's got to be a good decision maker too because you've got to, you know, if, there's, if you're playing opposition that are, that are looking to go taking the ball the aerial route going over the top. Your eight has got to make the decision now, does he does he hang back and, and provide cover at the back? Does he play flat? It all depends on who you're playing against. But from from a point of view, does uh, I think the, the eight is, is got to be the one to focus on the carries, work hard around the corner, and be your go-to guy for that. So before I, before I go to the difference between eights of yesteryear and, and now, um, just a question with regards to him, as a as a link in the back line, if I can call it that, um, and sorry to use this word, but would you th- say that your eighth man, because he has to read the game, because he's the link, his skill levels should be better or higher than your sixes and sevens? It has to be pretty much right up there, and I think to a degree, you want skillful loose forwards all round, but your your eight also not just not just being the link, Mark. He's got a He's got to have good communication, and then the skill level comes into it where if you have a scrum that's under pressure and you've got a, a ball that isn't behaving itself at the back of a scrum, he's got to be able to control that ball 
to make it either make the decision to 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 pick the ball up himself or to make it easy for the nine to play because you just want to get out of there if you if your scrum's under pressure. So decision making and and skill have got to be right up there with it, Nate. Yeah, I think part of that is control. You know, if you if you are the dominant scrum and you're going forward and you're trying to keep the ball in the scrum as long as possible, obviously he can't take his his arms or he can't break the link between himself and uh, and his forwards in front of him. So he needs to control the ball with his feet like a so- typical soccer player. Um, and obviously with the ball being oval, it makes it so much so much more difficult. So uh, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, just one, one, well, two other questions is the one is um, in a scrum when, when the eighth man is your player now and you're under pressure, in other words, going back, um, how important is it for your eight to actually keep his head in the scrum to support the, the rest of his forwards? Because I see often this weekend was a prime example when you looked at uh, European rugby a lot of the aids, because the, the referees force them to have their heads in, obviously, when the, when the scrum starts. But as soon as the engage is there and the ball's hooked, either way, then the opposing eighth man tends to lift his head. In other words, nearly breaking the, the link between himself and the, and the locks in front of him. So how important is it for, for that eight to actually support the rest of the players in the sense of pushing? I think you've got to keep your, you've got to keep your tight five in the fight. In the game, so so to me, it's important for your for your eight to to keep the head down and to and to work with your locks to stay in the fight. You can break off a scrum if a scrum is dominant, or keep your head out, and and by the same token, then still keeping the ball in to win a, perhaps win a penalty and then field and then field position from that penalty. But if you're under pressure, the eight has got to work just as hard as the rest of them. I think you've got to keep your head in. I think nothing would frustrate me more. Seeing eight bringing his head out of a scrum. And letting push letting, letting seven others do the work, and now you get you 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 come under more pressure at scrum time. Mark, you mentioned something last week about having sixteen feet in the scrums, and the moment that eighth man is going to lift his head, you're going to lose at least two. Correct. That's why I'm asking the question because a lot of eights are guilty at that. Um, you don't. I think at club level it makes it makes even more sense because it's not as structured as at provincial level. But I mean, you see it at an at international level too, and and obviously people watch. Um, so I think from a from a forwards coach perspective, it's it's probably one of your key areas that you look at as to from a scrum perspective to keep all all eight guys bound. I think if you if you go to the old mantra, you lose the hit, you lose the scrum. Um, so your eight your eight has got to has got to help with that hit. If your if your eight isn't helping with the hit, the potential for coming second in that in that tussle is real. So he's gotta he's gotta be there to help with the hit, stay in the fight, and then play from there. And then just the second last one is um while his head's obviously in the scrum <coughs> sorry, and um let's for argument's sake say the opposition's opposition's ball. So how would your forwards know that the ball has actually left the scrum on the other side for them to break if no one's heads are out? I've generally worked it where you've got a you've got the loose forward com- on the on the side of the scrum communicating that. So whichever uh, whichever way the ball's going, can, which, okay. which way it's going, the loose forward on that side of the scrum is is probably in a better position to communicate to the rest of the t- well, to the rest of the scrum. That's when the ball is out. Mm-hmm. Let's play from there. And the scrum off. Scrum off can do that, but you must remember also that the scrum off is has got a has got a different role to play. He now either looks after his 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 fellow nine, his his opposition nine, or chases down a ten. So yeah, I think from a communication, communication point of view, that might be difficult yeah. because he's obviously in front of his back or forwards because yeah. he's trying to put pressure on the opposite opposite nine. So he's in front of his player. So you know you'll have to obviously speak quite loud for them to hear. Then just lastly, Jeff, I want to find out. Um, you spoke about a skill um, which we spoke about last week. I think it was where um, a player needs to read what is in front of him, and you mentioned that your eighth man needs to read a game whether he has to fall back or not. So I think if you look at yesterday's game, it, it was just a given that your eighth man used to be at the back. Um, and we had we had a few players throughout the years that you and I coached together that did the same thing. And at times, 
we wanted to pull our hair out because he's not, do, according to us, he didn't do his primary function and has to be up there. So do you think that the game has changed quite a bit for your traditional eight not to be at the back as often as in the past? I think it has, Mark. Your eight has to, has to make the correct decision when to be up on attack. I think the, the traditional eight that everybody's got used to is, is the one that's hanging back and helping the, the wings and the fullback with with the balls coming through the air or cover defence. But the, it, it, it becomes under decision-making with the eight, whether to stay up or drop back. But I think the old traditional eight of being seen to be the one that's at the back of the, of the loose forwards, to be the one that's at the back all the time helping. I think those days are those days are gone. You're so is there a real right and a wrong? Or how do there's you no real right and wrong. I think it's decision-making in the game. If you've got a, if you've got opposition that is that is testing you by putting putting the ball through, then you want your eight to apps fall back and and look after that. But if you're on if you're on attack or even on defence, you know it's nice to have an eight man in in the in the first line of defence rather than last line of defence, particularly if your if your back three is effective on D. I so think it obviously also makes a, a difference as to how quick your opposition recycle the ball. Correct. Obviously, because it's a numbers game in the front yeah. end. Yeah. Then on that point, what would you say is the physical attributes that you will look at in a eighth man? It's it's it becomes interesting listening to to Ashley Johnson this morning because he's he's not the biggest he's not the biggest eight around, but he certainly is robust. Yeah, and yeah, and um, you know he said that he he by his own admission is not a lineout option, so he then becomes. More of the of the of, of, a, of a lifter in the lineout, and and that type of stuff. So again, I think with your eights, particularly if you if you've got a if you've got a another loose forward or perhaps two loose forwards that are going to give you that lineout option, is it important to have a, a big tall rangy lock? Perhaps not so much, um, but I think your 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 eight has to be has to be a a physical specimen. Whether whether he's tall or not, I think then becomes immaterial depending on on what other personnel you've got. But I'd like an eight to be robust. Which remember, he's your go-to guy and carries, yes. um, and also um, your go-to guy and putting in the putting in the big hits. You've got a you've got a Maro Toji, not uh, not sorry, believe on opponent from from England. He's perhaps not the the tallest specimen, but he's incredibly robust. Yes. Um, so it's it's uh, that's that's the important part to me is to be is to be nice and physical. Height is a bonus. But I think from a from a coaching point of view, obviously you look at what you have, especially us at club rugby. We don't have the benefit of professional players that play for us. You might get the odd one released to you mm. by your rugby union week in and week out, but it not, might not be a specific you know position. Um, but I think from a from a club point of view, we look at what we have and we build it around that. Um, and I think you know if if you only have two guys, two go-to guys in a lineout. You as a forwards coach, obviously, you'll know where to where your opposition will throw to more often than not. If you've got more timber and you can vary your lineout options, it makes it so much more difficult, obviously, to to see where the lineouts are going. And then on your side, obviously, you can have your eighth man standing out um, to exactly do what you wanted him to do and carry the ball. Correct. Um, you know, if we if we're defending, you're generally going to shorten the lineouts anyway, and then get your eight out. And then leave the leave the lineout work to the guys that are other lineout specialists in your locks. Sorry, you're saying that. So does that mean that if I'm your opposition and I have a full lineout, you can take one of your yep. players out, like your eighth yep. man, and put him to defence. So yep. you'll go seven against six in other yep. words. I think on what are you looking for in an eight? There's just cheap as it's a. It's one of those one of those questions you want to ask yourself. Do you want to? Do you, who do you see as your perfect date? Is it a is it a Dwayne Vermeulen? Is it a Kieran Reed where you've got those you've got those 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 perhaps not too much of an line option but very very physical specimens? Do you then go do you then go a a Sergio Parise which gives you line options? He's a he's probably one of the most underrated eights around. Just that he he plays in a perhaps not a not a very strong Italy team, but Sergio Parise stands stands to me stands out as an eight. Um, if we go back. Not that long ago, in the in the shark setup, you had a you had a Ryan Kenkowski. There yes. was a lineout option. There was a tall, rangy, rangy loose forward that that I mean, number eight rather that 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 ticked a number of boxes. 
That and was he was skillful. Very you know, skillful. Or somebody like Pierre Spies, or even then a Zinzan Brook. Yeah. I mean, guys that gave you almost Zin, everything. Yeah. Zinni could even drop kick. Yes, <laughs> no, I mean, even those. Yeah. Then uh, we spoke about the differences between a six and a seven. What would you say is the main difference between an eighth man and a, a six and a seven, if you talk about the three loose forwards? I think the quickest way to sum it up, your, your eight is your link between your forwards and your backs. Okay, but we spoke about six and seven, or then your 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 six being a link between your forwards and backs as well. It becomes playing it al- forward. It, it almost becomes a hybrid of all of all three then, because you can have you can have a you can have a, a an open side and a blind side where you want your blind side to want your blind side to to work towards the ball. You want your op- or the other way around and um, working towards the ball or, or and 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 slowing the rucks down and and being the one to carry. Um, an eight. If you look at Dwayne Vermillion, I think he he ticks all those boxes. He yes. carries incredibly well. How many turnovers that guy has, has affected in in Test matches, um, to the extent yeah. where he's almost won us a couple of games by doing just that. So, to me, a bit of a hybrid. But the the most important thing to me is is the link between the forwards and the backs. I think they vary wherever you go. Um, we spoke about. Look, South African only. We we spoke about Pierre Spies. Now, Pierre Spies is a retread wing. Um, he started as a winger and they moved him to, to eighth man. So he had all the attributes of a backline player, but with his physicality up front, made a nuisance of himself when he was there. Yes. So he probably brought passing skills to the eighth man role. Um, whereas Dwayne Vermeulen, he's more your hard guy. Um, obviously, he'll pass, but... His first, his first point of view is he wants to make contact. And, I mean, he's quite a strong ball carrier, so you need to stop him. He's good off the ball. But I think if you can sum it up more so, maybe old school rugby is your, your, your six traditionally in South African terms is your fetcher. That's your fetcher role. Um, your seven is your enforcer, if you want to call it that. That will take the ball up. And your eight is the guy with the skills at the back. So I think eight... Dwayne Vermeulen is a good, is a good example there. He is six, seven, and eight in one. Mm. Um, and I think that is probably uh, the difference between all of them at eighth man. Um, having said that, you know, as I think Jeff uh, alluded to this last week as well, that depending on your game, how you play and your game plan, each individual will have specific roles. We spoke about eighth man earlier on, where Jeff said that. Um, you know, if he had to have a line-out against us, for argument's sake, we'll have six, uh, seven in the line-out. He'll only have six in because his eight will stay out. Having said that, though, it depends on where he will be on the field. His eight won't always stand out. If we're closer to the line, for argument's sake, and they know we're a team that can drive well, all his forwards will be in the, in the line-out, obviously, to try and counter that. So it just depends on, on where you are. Just remember, too, because at scrum time, your eight is the... Is going to be the one to make that decision yes. whether whether to keep the ball in, whether to whether to pick and go if you're under pressure to to set up at a ruck. The sixes and the sevens aren't going to make the decision. It's the eight that's going to make the decision. Does he keep the ball? Let's keep the ball and let's win the penalty, get field position. The sixes and sevens aren't making the decision. One one very good example of something like this: if you are under pressure, so he has that extra skill now because if you break, then obviously the ball's out. So he has to break the right time, going backwards. Yes pick the ball up, not knock it on, and then make a decision whether he's going to go left or right. And you see this how often when a scrum wheels to the right for argument's sake that this guy picks up and goes left Mm -hmm. into opposing loose forwards, breaking off on their side. So then you isolate yourself. So under pressure, you need to make those decisions. And you can just imagine when you go up in the ranks and you're playing a World Cup final for argument's sake, that split-second decision that you make wrong could cost you the game. Yes. Over the last couple of weeks, we've spoken about all these different positions. And, and on a number of occasions with Robin Swanepoel and now with Jeff and some of the other guys, it came out that certain positions are born in those, in those positions. You're born to play there. What would you say is the perfect number eight? Is he also one of those players that are born in that position or born into that? Yo, that's a difficult question to answer. If you're going to ask, if you're going to answer me, ask me rather to to give you a short and sweet, which two players are are born to a position. I think I think the one player that needs to be born into a certain position is a tight head prop. That's 
I think yes. the tight head pro. You That's don't, what you, Robin you, also you mentioned. Know, you, yes. you don't you don't manufacture those guys easy. Um, and number eight, is he born to the position? I think a I think a player going back again. We've mentioned him. I think a Robin. I mean a a, a Ryan Kankowski rather is is born to that position. A Sergio Parisa from Italy is born to that position. Yes. Um, a Dwayne Vermeulen is perhaps born to that position. But there are others that that can be. You don't want to use the word retreaded. It doesn't sound right. But can be can be a perhaps what's the word you use molded into that position. Yes. I I've, I've mentioned it before. Don't don't be surprised when the British and Irish Lions come here. They they are going to take Mauro Itojo and they are going to turn him into a loose forward. That's Look, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think we've evolved so much in rugby. Rugby has, that's why professional sport is exactly that. I mean, these guys train basically the whole day, different facets of the game, whether it's gym or whether it's whatever. I think we've evolved so much that um, if you have a flaw somewhere, they will teach you how to be the perfect that. Otherwise, at an international level, I can guarantee you, let's say we play England and Dwayne Vermeulen isn't on par as to where he should be as an eighth man. They will exploit that. So the higher you go up, um, the technicality out there is so is so vast now, and they've got everything at their exposure to see exactly what you are doing right and wrong, that before you even blink in a game, at an international level, a test match level, it's like a one split second or so. If you're not there, they, they would steal the ball. So it's involved so much that um, I think if you have a slight flaw, even you can look at a, a, a good a good rugby player like Peter Steff the toy. Um, he's got so much skills and so much potential that depending on the game, probably maybe maybe not against a team like New Zealand. I mean, if you put him at eighth man, he's still good enough to make certain decisions. But the higher the level, that's what I'm saying. New Zealand maybe not because they're the ultimate to play against. There he might be exploited You're or exposed. About so. Peter Steff the toy now. What about in the years gone by, a guy like Donny Rousseau. Donny played, he started at lock, and then he went on to flank, and then he went on to eighth man, and eventually he ended up on the bench for the Bulls and the, the Springboks, purely because of that skills that he brought to the game. Um, they never picked him in a specific position. They always had him on the bench playing almost in all those positions wherever they needed him. But I think his primary his primary function was probably to carry the ball or whatever because he was 100%. a hard, robust player. And and I say this with utmost respect. Uh, you, you can't put him in the same mould as a, as a Ryan Kankowski for arguments like speed-wise and agility-wise and offloading skills and that. But give him the ball and he'll definitely get you over the front foot. But he'd also chase and he's also a good line-out option and so on and so forth. So yet again... Um, I think if you go back into history and you have a look at the games that he played, um, he would probably not have played eighth man against very, very good opposition where he could be found wanting or whatever. Um, and most, most, I mean, I think when he, when, when he came to the end of his career, most of his, of his games that he played was at flank, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it was. Um, but I mean, he was a and he was a big specimen himself, you know. So we're fortunate in South Africa. I mean, we've got. I read a few things from the All Blacks over the last few weeks, and that they say South Africa is the ultimate team to play against. But heaven forbid, when you stand in front of a guy with a green jersey on to try and stop him, or when you are at the breakdown and they're coming to clean because they are the hard. That's why everyone wants to play against us, and it's because of our forwards. Yes, I don't want to. If you're going to get into this, are the what are you are the are players born into the position? I don't want to. I don't want to sound controversial, but how many? There, there aren't many eights that have been that have been manufactured into the position. They've a number eight is a number eight, and he's and he's played there often. Right. You can't you can't take a lock and make him an eight and, and expect him to be effective, especially at international international oh, rugby. Yes. Even in Premier Division rugby, it's it becomes difficult for for a lock as an example to move to eight. It becomes difficult for a six or a seven to move to eight. Uh, eight is is a is a specialist position. And I think yeah. like anything else, it takes time. It takes time to get accustomed to your role. So most players play whatever position it is in school level. I think primary school, maybe going to high school, where the coach sees this as a big guy, and you must sooner play eighth man or lock or whatever the case might be. But the older you get, then you become either stronger or slower or quicker or whatever the case might be. And, and the coach, hopefully at that, at that stage, can identify very quickly. But I mean, I take a guy like Dylan Richardson, 
he's a prime example. I mean, he's a good loose forward and he's a good hooker. Um, and I think I think uh, the the Sharks. I won't say battle with it either, but they've got a good option. So Sean Everett will have him as a hooker, and he could have him as a as a as a flank. So, and he fits both those roles very well, and he's strong enough to be in the front row as a as a two as well. So um, I think Jeff, what Jeff's saying is is hundred percent correct. But I'm going back to what I said earlier. He might, let's say it's an eight now because we're covering eight. He might be a good eighth man, but he lacks certain skills. Those skills can still be developed. Decision making can even still be developed. So I don't, I don't think it's a massive thing. Your level of expertise will definitely change as you go up in your ranks. And I mean, everyone's got the ability up there to, to tweak that slightly. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for your views on that. And now for some sad news again. We learned about the death of Safik Marie. Safik was involved in the Fuka Rugby Academy. And he was a very strong rugby personality in the Western Cape. Our condolences to Safik's friends and family. Then also Bondi Tabata. He was part of the South African Rugby Executive Council and our condolences to his friends and family. Then we also learned this week that the Southern Kings Company has gone into voluntary liquidation. Mark, your thoughts on this one? I think it's very sad for South African rugby. It's uh, not the first time that, that they've battled over the last few years. I think it's happened twice already. Um, there's a few times that they've been bailed out. Unfortunately for them, it's the investing company, I think I called the greatest rugby company, or, um, that they couldn't fulfill their obligation. Um, but it's sad, sad for South African rugby um, for, for numerous reasons. One, obviously, is the employment of our rugby players. Yes. Um, a lot of these rugby players have already been sought from overseas companies. Yes. Um, when I say companies, obviously, rugby clubs overseas. Um, some of them have, have already signed to go away. Then you also have a look at the breeding ground for rugby in the Eastern Cape. Um, it's very sad. So, um, hopefully... It won't take long for them to, to come out of it and, and to re-establish the good rugby from yesteryear. You know, one of the great Springboks come from that side in Donik Gerber. I yes. mean, that's, uh, Eastern Province rugby has been has been huge over the past few years for, for South African rugby. So, as I said, it's very sad um, from a rugby perspective, but those players are good enough to, to find employment somewhere else and hopefully they'll filter through somewhere in the South African rugby and we won't lose them to overseas clubs. Yes, Mark. Um, I see the Kings, they started, or well, it was announced that they would be involved in the Super Rugby in November in 2010. They started playing Super Rugby in 2013, February 2013. Um, in August 2013, they lost that position in a playoff game against the Lions. Then in 2015, um, they came back into Super Rugby, and that was also the year that South African Rugby took charge of, of um, Eastern Province Rugby Union. 2016, they were full-on back in the, in the Super Rugby. Then in 2017, Sanzar announced that they're going to take Super Rugby from, from 18 teams to 15 teams, where the Kings then lost their place again. Then in 2017, the Kings and the Toyota Cheetahs went to play Pro 14, um, and both those sides actually did well. They did fairly well in the Pro 14. Then in January 2019, um, the great rugby company bought 74% of um, the Shares. Southern King franchise with great promises that never materialized, or none of, most of it never materialized. And then in June 2020, SA Rugby resumes control of, of the Southern Kings. And then now in August 
2020, the Southern Kings withdrew from the local, local leagues. And in September 2020, they announced voluntary liquidation. So in a very short space of time, the Kings went from, from Super Rugby to liquidation. Jeff, anything from your side on that? I think I feel sorry for, for Eastern Cape Rugby is that Mark has said it. I think it's a it's a breeding ground for 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 some good some for some good South African rugby players. Um, if you look at the if you look at their school system, they got some they got some great great schools there that that produce some very good rugby players. Their challenge is to keep them in the province. They they get snapped up by the by the so called bigger unions. Yes. Which then always becomes a struggle um, to then to get players to play. Um, from a from a university point of view, if you look at University of Forte in the in the in the Varsity Shield, when they play, they've got massive support. Yeah. So so rugby is is well supported in the Eastern Cape. It's it's a popular sport in the Eastern Cape, but the problem is to they, I think they they struggle to to hold on to their their quality players, which is a yes. knock on effect. You can you can pump money into it, um, cheapest. How much money do you need to hang on to quality players for a start? Um, so once they go. Um, if a team if a if a team isn't producing on the field, and you're not and you're not getting bums on seats because of that, you're always going to struggle financially. Look, I think I think there's 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 a few reasons for for quite a bit of it happening. Um, obviously, say the administration portion was an issue, and so on and so forth. And it's not for us to go into something like that. So we'll sooner stick on what happens on the field. Um, if you look at them, even in Super Rugby, when they played Super Rugby first, they were there and there about. If, if if the ball bounced any different in some of those games, they could have won quite a few, which could have possibly put them on a different level playing, where people would probably then not think, oh, it's possibly an easy game or well, whatever. If they, if they won that game against the Lions, that playoff game against the Lions, and they went through and the Lions Correct. didn't, Look, it they would have been, it I think been a they, different ball game. Yeah, I think they would still have struggled because of the setup. Of the of the EP Kings and the way it was managed and so forth, the fact that we are where we are. Yeah. But on a playing perspective, I mean, you look at a guy like Makasolo and Pimpi. He played for them in Super Rugby, so he is one of the finest. Uh, Lukanya Am, that's the Sharks captain. He comes from there, yeah. so they've definitely got the players. And I think in in South African rugby, and this is the sad part. Those guys get identified, as Jeff said, they've got great schools, rugby schools there. So they get identified and they come through the system. Once they're in the system then, and they play well, they get spotted and that's where they, they disappear from the eastern province. So we, we can even go as far as looking at Hrikwas for argument's sake, just to join them with that. Hrikwas themselves is a, is a province, province that produced many good rugby players. So what you always find as well is you'll find a player, let's say at the shark setup, that's there and there about, but just just doesn't make it. He will probably go and play his rugby at Hikwas. There is where the problem lies. So they make name for themselves in the so-called smaller unions, and then the bigger unions buy them and they disappear off the radar. And it doesn't give that specific province the opportunity to actually shine like in yesteryear. I mean, in yesteryear, you had the Audrey Geldenaces and the Donnie Craven, I'm oh, sorry, the Donnie Gerbers and so forth that played for Eastern Province. Yes. You had a guy, uh, Domkrach, I can't remember what his Francie name was. Rasmus. Francie Erasmus. that played prop. So they, they, there is definitely a bloodline of good rugby players in the Eastern Province. The sad part is we can't keep them there. And now we're going to lose quite a few of them. They, I mean, unfortunately, and this is the this is the negative of Pro 14 rugby for South Africa now, because they've played Pro 14. The the Pro 14 franchises have already started putting yes. their feelers out, so we're going to lose them. But but rightfully so. In today's life, it's not only rugby; it's a it's a it's a job for these guys, and they need to earn a living. Then on a different subject, we. We now have returned to to play, and eventually we've got a fixtures list. And I want to start with something we mentioned last week with regards to whether we should go to Australia to play in the um, the rugby championship, um, whether it's going to be the right decision or the wrong decision. I see that Jock Ninova says he's right and ready for for Test rugby. Your feelings on that one, Mark? 
I'm glad he's the coach mm. and I'm not. Um, look, we've got we've got good good enough players. Um, whether we will physically be ready for it in the sense of match fitness is a different story. This also depends on how many overseas-based players he's going to select for for that tournament. And I'm saying that I know, and we're going to we're going to touch on that just now. I know that there's 94 players, I think it is, um, that were selected selected to play in the green and the gold um, in two weeks' time. But all the overseas players aren't part of that. So the overseas players would have had four or five weeks of rugby behind them already as we speak. So then lies the difference. You know, we're going to go, and we'll allude to that now, we're going to go into two two weeks of, of rugby that isn't part of a league, Curry Cup, but you need to include that because at least they would have had a hit out. Okay, but if you look at the at the fixtures that's set now, on the 26th of September, it's the Vodacom Super Fan Day where the, or the Super Euro Day where the Sharks versus the Bulls and the Lions versus the Stormers in Pretoria. The very next week, we've got this group of, it's 92 players that were, were named now of which 60 players will be selected in two different squads, in a green squad and in a gold squad, to play against one another, where Rassi Rasmus will take charge of the one and Jacques Nienhofer as the... Um, the oh, they will just oversee guardians. it. Yeah, they, yeah, they, the guardians of these two teams. And between the two of them, it sounds that there's already a bit of a, a rivalry going. Um, and in that squad, they've got quite a number of youngsters, very young um, players, which is almost in the same mould as what Australia and New Zealand has done now with their with their selection, their national selections. So if you look at the mix of old, um, I'm talking about the old uh, Springboks, the current world champion Springboks, then there is a couple of names there that's um, returning Springboks, and then these youngsters, which is very much in the same line as, as Australia and New Zealand. Agree. Um, I think it's slightly different, though, for the simple reason that we've excluded all our overseas-based Springboks. So, number one, had they been here, the number of, I'm assuming, the youngsters would have dropped out. But I think a lot of thought has, has gone into the selection of this specific game um, and the players, because obviously um, there's between 50 and 60 players that will be taking part in that specific yes. game. So we're looking at at least... 30 to 40 players being dropped from that. That excludes our overseas-based players. So yes. I think I think a, a, a youngster that is on the fringes of possibly playing would then be included in there just for for the likes of Jacques Ninaber and them to see what they can do at that specific level. Because obviously we're saying at that level, the stakes are slightly higher than playing a Curry Cup game against each other or yes. a Super Rugby game against because you can use this as trials if you want to. Um, so I think, and obviously the, the, the brainchild behind, behind all of this is, is Rassi Erasmus, yes. and I think his thought process was actually quite clever in doing that because he already knows what he has in a look on your arm and whoever yes. else it is. So I think a lot of game time would in all probability be given to a youngster coming through that they are unsure of whether they can feature at that level. At, at that level. Um, but I think the, the big difference here is a group of Australians have already been selected yes. and a group of New Zealanders have been selected, call it 40 players for that championship. Yes. We're not there, but we're giving our youngsters the exposure. Just, just something else on this, sorry, Jeff. <laughs> just something else on this is that the 60 players that, that's going to take part in, these, in, in this game on the 3rd of October is not going to be a selected side or selected sides. It's going to be picked sides. Out of the selected players that they've got already. Out of the yes. named, out of the 92 named yes. players, they're actually going to pick the sides. And, and Rassi and Jock actually made fun of it, saying that it's going to be like schoolboy rugby mm. when you like each one get a turn mm. to pick mm. a number one and a number two and a number three and a number four mm. in turns. Look, I think there will be a slight, there will be a slight tweak in it somewhere. Um, I think game plan and all that would all, in all probability, be similar. But I think uh, both of them, you know, they they good mates from from many years ago. So I think there'll be something up its sleeve. But this is a proper work for them. It's not a, a fun game or whatever. 100%. So there's a lot of planning. I mean, they need to get 
the results out of it that they are actually requiring out of it. So I think it's important for them to do, and it won't be Mickey Mouse. I think it will be hard work. I think if you look at the number of players involved, um, I think Mark touched on an important point that there's certainly method in, in what the coaching staff are doing to, to see what else is out there. Um, but I think when it comes down to when it comes down to the final stroke of the pen in selecting a side, barring, barring the odd bolt out of the blue, I don't think they're going to stray too far from the from the tried and tested, um, because I think both both uh, Rossi and and Jacques know what they've got in those players. Um, I agree with I agree with Mark on on these different pressures. You must also add there's the there's the added pressure now. We're wearing the champ the the mantle of world champions. That's added pressure to it. Yeah. Everybody wants to knock uh, us off that perch. I just think we, we uh, unlike New Zealand and Australia, we're not going into a championship only. I said this last week, I think the championship is important for us because we're going to be under pressure. The world's looking at us as champions. So win or lose, it's how we win or how we lose. Um, but it won't go down well if it does happen that we lose for whatever the reasons are. Might be, it might be Russian, they might then say, um, we might not specifically choose our strongest side because we want to give a few of the up-and-coming players a, a, a chance to see because there's no other test up until the time that we play in, in, in the line setup, but that is the ultimate. So I think, and and as a coach, you never want to lose. But I think if there's one series that Jacques Ninaber and Rashi Erasmus would sooner lose, it would be the championship. Other than the lines, the line series is a must-win for South Africa. We have to win it. Yes. Yeah, I agree in the line series. That that is a must-win. Um, as far as the rugby championship goes, um, I hope my. My good Kiwi friends Bert Tui and Nathan Tepuni are listening to this. Winning this rugby championship, gentlemen, doesn't make you world champions. You've got to wait till 2023 for that. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> now, a lot of these players are going to go into the the double-header local league where from the 10th of October, we're going to go into uh, Round Robin playing for the Super Rugby Trophy. And then directly thereafter, we're going to go into another round robin up until I think it's the 12th or 13th of January, 16th of January, uh, playing another round robin for the, the Curry Cup. And then playoffs. And then playoffs, yeah. Mm. Then there's the semifinals and the final playoffs in the Curry Cup only, where the Super Rugby Trophy is going to be based on, on league point, uh, lock points only. So, so. <laughs> I think what has happened is the, the, the first section or the first half of the double headers will be played as Super Rugby. Yes. And the second half will be played as Curry Cup. Curry Cup However, yes. your, your log points will be carried over to Curry Cup. So, from, yeah, so, from the Super to the Curry yes. Cup. Yes. So in theory, um, I look at it like this. It's one competition, which is technically your Curry Cup competition. Yes. And then by the turn... When, when the half of the season is gone, whoever leads there yes. would be crowned as your super, super rugby, uh, rugby side. So I think it's added incentive. And what is great about this, I think, um, I know the Sharks The Sharks were the forerunners to, to win it this year. And I feel for Sean Everett and his guys. I think they were, from a South African point of view, they were definitely the side, the form side. We played some awesome rugby and so forth. And I feel for them because, you know, if you look at the, the sevens, when... The COVID-19 pandemic struck and the sevens ended, New Zealand were crowned champions. So I, I feel for, for Sean, in his first year as Super Rugby, they've done really, really well. Um, but from a South African point of view, I think it's added incentive for the likes of Griquas. Yes, And definitely. now obviously the Cheetahs that are involved and yes. the Pumas that are and involved. The because they are teams that can really bring it to South Africa in, in South Africa from a rugby perspective. And I mean the Cheetahs are defending Gary Cup champions. Yes. So they know halfway through it they need to be there and thereabout to stake a claim for to the Gary Cup. And I just think it's great for South African rugby. It is. But it also gives those three franchises a chance now to actually win the Yeah it's the open, super rugby. it's open playing field. I can't see the Sharks losing this. It's a, it's a settled squad. It's a happy squad. Be interesting to see what the Bulls bring to the table. I think with Jake White going there now, there's been a pretty much a, a cleaning up of house there with there with is. players that he brought in and players that let it go. 
I'll be I'll be very very keen to see what they bring to the to the table. Yeah, but, but I think yeah, Mark I makes I makes a valid point. I mean, we 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 got the Cheetahs, that is the current Curry Cup champions, and they've done well in in the Pro uh, Pro 14. Then we have the Lions, that is last year's conference winners, the South African conference winners in the Super Rugby. Um, they want to prove a point. And then the Sharks, that are that actually led the the Super Rugby log at lockdown. Look, I think there's lots to play for because you know if we if we're going to join Northern Hemisphere Rugby, Pro 18 or whatever it is, um, I know they've already spoken about the Lions and and the Sharks and the Bulls and uh, the Stormers, but I mean the Cheetahs are currently playing in the Pro 14 and they want to show that they are good enough to play there. So I think there's there's more to it than just that. Having said that, and and I'm, I'm hoping what Jeff says is true. Um, and my wife also says that the Sharks are there uh, to take it again. However, if you look at Northern Hemisphere Rugby, after the, the lockdown and the front runners that were leading the log before the lockdown overseas, yeah. they've all battled coming back, you know. And I think the competition is going to be so fierce. And, and having said that, we're all in the same boat. Um, whoever hits the road running quickest when we start is probably going to lead it for a while but the Sharks are good enough to come back if they there and there about right until the end I think Sean will will get his charges to fire to to come back he's a he's a good coach he's got good coaching set up uh, in the Sharks good support so I think the Sharks will do it well looking at at the players um, they've got very little time in in just a couple of games to show what they can do so I'm sure that all these players, the 92 that were named for this um, Castle Lager Springbok showdown, um, the players that's going to play in the um, the Varukom Fans Day now, as well as the players that then going to go through into the the Curry Cup and the and the and the Super Rugby, they've got a couple of games to show what they can do before the Springboks actually then leave for for Australia. Yeah. So they they're all going to be out there to show what they can do. Definitely, and I think I think everyone is is vying for a spot when the Lions tour. I think that's the ultimate for everyone. Yes. I mean, you can speak to to World Cup players; they want to play in a Lions series. Um, it's not often that that happens. I mean, the World Cup happens every four years. The Lions series is every twelve years. So it it doesn't happen for these players. Um, what I do think, though. I think uh, you know both Rossi and Johan would have their idea of who they would probably want in their side. I think what's upset the apple cart a little bit here is all the injuries we've had overseas. Yes. So you're looking at Locke, you're looking at Flyoff, um, and those are the guys that, at the end of the day, the the, the so-called um, the so-called out of out of selection space maybe. Those guys are the ones that want to put their hands up. I mean, Elton Yankees, for argument's sake, he's in a prime position now to stake that claim. If you look at the other guys, they know that if they outperform Elton, there's a possibility they might make it. Locks, I mean, we've got, I think it's three of our World Cup locks out. So, I mean, those, those positions are open. Yes. So these guys have got it all to play for. 100%. So just to put it in a nutshell, I think... We've got some exciting rugby ahead of us in South Africa. Can't the wait. The guys are going to play. Can't wait. Then in our women's rugby, the women's Springbok women's coach, Stanley Robenheimer, announced that the women will be getting up for the 2021 rugby, Women's Rugby World Cup. I see here that they have these, this ambitious target of taking 40% of the coaching staff as females? Well, I don't think it's it's too ambitious. I think we we have the female coaching staff out there. Um, if you look at our under-21 coach, I think she's a female. Yes. Um, she is an ex-player herself, and there are obviously quite a few more than that. What makes it quite interesting is when our senior national side goes to the World Cup, the female under-21 coach, yes. um, she will be joining them yes. to gain she some experience be. in that. And I think I think that is where, obviously, Rashi Erasmus is in charge of all of this, so uh, whether he had a, had a say in that, I'm not too sure. 
But I think if you look at a developing point of view, um, that is great. That's the route to go. And, you know, our, our male counterparts have done well in the World Cup, so it would put the ladies under a little bit of pressure. Um, but unfortunately for us, if you look at world rugby, you look at the men's in the world um, rugby sphere, if you want to call it that, we are there and there about. And obviously we're world champions. Our ladies are still developing, if we can call it that, um, but they, they'll get there. Now, I know that there's a big drive in South African rugby and throughout the franchises to, to develop uh, women's rugby in South Africa. And I know from, from a Mums and Tote rugby club, we've been battling now for a couple of years to, to get a women's team together. And, and we, we're getting it together, but it, to, to keep the ladies there is quite, quite difficult. It makes it difficult. I think, I think you know, there's still that, that, I think a lot of people or a lot of ladies themselves think it's not a, it's not a ladies sport, yeah, so the men, it, yeah. the men have to play it. But if you do look at, at Toti Rugby this year, I mean, we would have fielded a, a female side for the we first time. Um, there are in town, I think, College Rovers and Jaguars. Yes. I'm not too sure who else. There aren't many. There's only UKZN, the, the, UKZN UKZN is the other one. Is the other one. Oh. So there's only a handful, a handful of them. Yes. So um, And it's great for the South Coast to, to have one, and, and hopefully next year it can continue. What we need to develop, though, is to get the coaches involved to be ladies as well. Yes. We need ladies in not only coaching, but also in refereeing and administrating. We need to develop them in all, all facets of the game. Thank you, gentlemen. Jeff Harper, thanks for join, joining us again tonight. And thank you for all the insight that you've provided in all, the, all our topics. Thank you, Cus. Thank you, Mark. Was was lucky to be here. Had a bit of fun. Nice to see you guys again. So hopefully we'll we'll hook up in the future again. But it was it was really nice to be here, and thanks to the rest of the team for having me. Yeah, Jeff, thanks a lot. Um, you know we've we've had the pleasure of partnering each other within different coaching levels, at club level and at DRSU level and so forth. Um, it's nice having you in studio. Thanks for your input over the last few few weeks. Um, it's always nice to have you. So we will definitely push on your button again in the near future. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Gus. Nice being here. Thanks to the listeners for tuning in again. Looking forward to next week's show. From Touchline, thank you very much for tuning in. From myself, Casper Els, and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.